Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the Albino Hills and south of the raging Lucistic River, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. That's right, folks. The one and only Gecko Nation Radio. Today is November twenty second, two thousand and fifteen, uh, and we got an awesome show for you planned for tonight. Go ahead and grab my co-host, Mr. Tim Walton. Tim, what's going on in the jungle? What's happening, Dave? How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. How you doing? Busy, busy, busy. You know, you know the drill. But uh, know the deal, man. A good show tonight. You know. Getting Mr. T back on. It's been a while since we've had him on. It'll be cool to uh, get some updates and hear what's going on down in down in Bernie, Texas. I know it's been a while since he's been on. Probably about a half a year or so. But uh, yeah, we got some good topics. No, I think it's more than, it's a lot more than half a year, isn't it? Um, I don't know. I got to check. I think it was about. It hasn't been. It was about six months ago when we were supposed to have him on that we were unable to do oh, it. Oh yeah, again. that's right. Yep, yep, and that's so right. It's been, um, a, it's been a while. Hmm. Ah, time's going quick, man. Definitely is. Um, first, I'd like to say if uh, we're not going to see you guys uh, till the following week, but I wish everybody a uh, happy Thanksgiving next week. All right, before I forget. Um, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Anything special, Tim? Um, just you know, staying local with the family, and I don't even know if I'm going to work or not yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. What about you? Oh, yeah, a lot of. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go down the shore. Uh, go to the shore. I was hanging out with my pops uh, for Thanksgiving. I don't know what we're gonna do. If we maybe we'll go out to eat, we're not really big into cooking a whole big meal. We kind of got a small small group there, so might go out to eat and do something. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, looking forward to that change of scene at least. You know. Um, let's see. Do we have any business to discuss before we uh, get into our sponsors and everything? No, I don't have anything, do you? No. Okay, cool. All right. Let's talk about our awesome sponsors, folks. Uh, well, one of them, of course, is Ron Tremper. He's going to be on the show tonight, so this whole this whole show will be his uh, sounding board. and hear a lot about what he's doing. And um, you guys are welcome to call in as well. We welcome your phone calls and uh, topics of discussion. The call-in number is 646-478-5331. Again, it's 646-478-5331. Please share the Facebook posts, uh, folks. That's how we reach new listeners and grow the show, and uh, we appreciate your help. So if you like what we do here at Declination Radio, uh, share it with somebody else on Facebook. That'll help us a lot. Uh, Let's see. Um, Wow, a lot of new gecko people out there. Seasoned professionals, where's the best place for them to find information on leopard geckos and such, Tim? On Gecko Forums. Absolutely. Check out geckoforums.net. And also, like to mention our uh, affiliates, we have uh, Herpentime Radio. Check them out on Blog Talk. And of course, Corn on the Pot, if you guys like corn snakes and Coolabrids, they do a show every once in a while, really cool. They had Kathy's Love on recently. So check out Corn on the Pot, that's also here on Blog Talk. So, uh, 
two cool alternate shows, Serpentine Radio. They basically have just about everybody who's anybody in the gecko, I mean, in the reptile world on their show, and they have an archive going back almost, I guess, over three years now. So good for them with longevity. I give them a lot of credit for that. It's not easy doing this every week like they do and like we do. So <clears throat> definitely check them out. All right. Let's see. Uh, Supreme Gecko, I'd like to tell everybody that Supreme Gecko, Wally is starting up his 12 Days of Christmas special. So check out SupremeGecko.com. It's where a bunch of us breeders, we donate a gift, and you could be a lucky winner. So I'm giving a gecko like I did last year. So definitely check out SupremeGecko.com for that. And uh, his site's also a wealth of information on geckos. He sells great day geckos and cresties and stuff. So definitely a great breeder in the game. And, of course, Ohio Gecko. We love that over at Ohio Gecko. He's kind of been MIA for a while. Got to figure out what's going on with that. But uh hope he's doing good. Hope all is well with that if you hear this. But check out OhioGecko.com. He's got awesome tangerines, enigmas, all kinds of cool stuff with fat tails. Awesome stuff. He's usually at the East Coast shows in White, uh, White Plains, New York. And I think I've seen him at Hamburg a couple times. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe I think it was just White Plains. But uh, definitely check out Ohio Gecko. And, of course, Mr. John Scarborough over at Gecko Boa Reptiles. We love you, John. John uh, does a great job with Leopard Gecko Morse, top of the line. Also, he's got the most complete collection of subspecies in the country right now, with all the different uh, ones represented, really high-quality examples and pure bloodlines. So uh, definitely check out geckoboa.com. All right, good stuff over there. And let's see. Oh, of course. AB Dragons. If you guys need dubia roaches for your insect-eating reptiles, please check out abdragons.com. And they also do Facebook auctions with roaches now, so you can find them on Facebook, and uh, they're always doing auctions, usually a few times a week, so you might be able to get them on a good deal at their auction, so check them out. They also are breeding and selling some really obscure species of roaches these days, some stuff that you just don't see every day and might be up your alley if you keep in some exotic animals that just won't take the normal dubious, so stick to something cool to look into. abdragons.com, use the code GECKO, all in caps at checkout for 5% off your order every time. That's for all our fans out there and for everybody that you choose to tell about it. All right. Let's see. Reptilestickers.com, if you guys need anything promotional for your businesses or uh, logos, banners, anything like that, check out reptilestickers.com. And on Facebook, it's uh, Happy Geckos sticky situation. Okay, she's got her own group. Rachel does a great job. Very talented graphic designer. Definitely help you out. And sea serpents and hotbox incubators. We love sea serpents and hotbox. Some of the best racks and incubators in the country right now. His business is booming. He's doing really good. Awesome customer service. Really high quality constructions. Check out seaserpents.com and see Reptiles Express. We love Reptiles Express. Check them out. If you guys are shipping animals uh, anywhere in the country, you're going to need to do it the legal way. and um, you got to go through a certified shipping company, and Reptiles Express is definitely a great one to use, best rates I've found so far. And I love the fact that their insulated boxes are a very thick styrofoam in there. I use their boxes for all my shipments, and uh, very pleased with them. And, uh, yeah, definitely check them out, reptilesexpress.com. It's free to sign up. And if you have any trouble, ask for Amy. She'll help you out. Okay. And let's see, last but not least, our favorite worm company, Rainbow Mealworms. We love you, Rainbow. We love you, Jillian. Thanks for doing such a great job of customer service and keeping all our animals fed, fat, happy, and healthy every week or however often you guys order. I have to order every week. It's crazy here. 
But, uh, yeah, thanks, Jillian. Check out rainbowmealworms.net. Okay, remember, it's .net. All right, cool. And you know what? When you uh, deal with any of our sponsors, mention the show. They'll hook you up. All right? It's good to get some good word of mouth and uh, all that kind of, you know, you help me, I help you kind of thing going on. All right. I think that's it. Well, we got a lot of cool sponsors. All right, that's it, Tim. I think we can uh, Dave, transition actually, now. Yeah, what, what's um, up? Do we? Go ahead. Do you have somebody scheduled for next week? I I do not have uh, have anything. No, I thought lined next week was next your week. week. It is. I thought you had somebody lined up for that. It is. Oh, to be. they canceled. Anyway, um, um, we'll get somebody, or maybe we'll take it off for the holiday. I don't know. We'll see. I'll, I'll try to get and somebody. I was going to say that next next Sunday is the White Plains show, Dave. Dave will not be there, but I will be there um, at Dave's table, at Dave's usual spot, and uh, I'll be with John Heiser, who has awesome, awesome crested geckos. So if you're interested in yes. crested geckos or seeing uh, some of the leopard geckos that I'll have available, come on, stop by, and, and say hello. Excellent. Yeah, and remind me, give me a call this week because there's a couple little details about that whole thing i got to uh, talk to you about because I talked to Bruce. Everything's okay, but i got to go over a couple things with you, Tim. All right? All right. Cool. All right, let's go ahead and, well, I'll introduce him. Mr. Ron Tremper, you know him, you love him. He's, uh, wow, he's been so instrumental in the world of leopard geckos and other species for over 30 years. Maybe it's even four years. We'll talk, but we don't want to make him that old. But, (laughs) Ron, you've done an awesome job helping us uh, make just so many beautiful examples of leopard geckos for sure. And uh, there probably isn't a collection out there that doesn't have some of your bloodline in it or a lot of your bloodlines in it. And uh, your books and everything have helped so many people over the years. So without further ado, Mr. Ron Tremper from LeopardGecko.com, welcome to Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, Helen and I are here. Uh, we enjoy the show a lot. And yeah, I've been around for a while. I, you know, I'll give you a clue. I've been dealing with uh, rainbow mealworms for 49 years. Mm. Wow, that's amazing! Yeah, yeah, brought him the brought him the superworm back in '87 over from uh, Europe and got it started and sold them the technology and kind of did a royalty thing with them for a while. And now that Fred has passed, Jillian's just doing a great job. So still with them, I'm pretty loyal to them, that's for sure. And they sell a good product. How you doing, yes, Mr. T? How's everything going down there in Bernie, Texas? All right, who's co-hosting? It's That's Tim Walton. Ah, uh, Tim, yes. Great, super. Oh, we've been hanging here together before. That's great. Awesome. And so, actually, uh, we have a lot of... the... Go ahead, Tim. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, the, just no, the first sorry. question I wanted to ask is, uh, I think, is it 37 or 38 years you've been doing it? With the leopard geckos? Yeah. What, what are we up to now? Yeah. Well, um, starting uh, right after the first of the year, we'll be hatching um, my 38th generation of leopard geckos. So some of the animals uh, have descended from that many generations and uh, just keep working on it. We don't add too many geckos from anyone else to the colony very often, but uh, it was strategic when I... Uh, uh, married Helen, you know, she brought all the different albino lines. <laughs> basically, uh, was, that's uh, awesome. You know, yeah, you know, I'm not stupid, so. 
That's great. We got a lot of great topics tonight, Ron. We talked a little bit uh, during the week about it, and um, yeah. I think a good place to start would be. I mean, you're someone that's been in this game for a long time. You've seen trends. You've seen comings and goings of breeders and uh, hobbyists. And um, why don't we talk a little bit about the marketplace? What you see is going on. What you've seen in the past, and maybe what you see for the future. Yeah. Well, the. Uh the recession has really hurt the, the market in in all different areas of reptile business, not just leopard geckos. That just caused a lot of problems uh, for everybody. You know, we thought it was going to be short-lived when it started in early 2008. Um, I could kind of see things changing right away and started making a plan, you know, if it was going to get worse, and I'm, I'm glad I did make a plan. But the uh, that that really hurt people, you know. By 2008, everybody was so so about it at the end of the breeding season, and uh, by 2009, it really raised its head, and uh, people just really couldn't sell their offspring, and so things started selling cheaper and cheaper, and there was just. Uh, you know, a lot of people discouraged that not everybody has a supportive spouse at home, so there's pressure at home from spouse or parents, you know, and um, so the market was really shaken, and we've all been through that, and, you know, prices came down and, and did allow some people to get morphs that they couldn't, you know, afford before, but it never uh, really allowed anybody to be able to sell their offspring and be confident that they could raise some money to pay for their food and expenses and, and get that darn gecko they've been wanting, take it up to the next level. That's what was building uh, the business. And it was, a you know, good, good for everybody. And uh, so mm -hmm. now things are getting a little better. Um, you know, there was a period of time during uh, the recession that, uh, in 2010, where we went four and a half months without selling one gecko at retail price in the United States. That's how bad things got. Um, there's been some dips in the past. In 96, things got so bad uh, that uh, leopard geckos went down to uh, babies, uh, even five, six inches. Uh, normals were uh, $5 each, but you couldn't find anybody to buy them. The dealers just couldn't move anything. So we've seen these dips. The recession, though, has been the hardest thing. And I had to kind of reinvent myself to uh, get through it. And that's when I uh, turned towards working on the apps and working on uh business in Asia I was pretty well known over there and I just had to follow the dollar um, but it's, it's been encouraging we've had good retail sales and this uh, this calendar year it's been on the plus side I think uh, 11 months uh, now and so I really see things moving uh, how do you see it out there you guys are you getting a good vibe on your marketplace and just shows out on the East Coast? Um, you want to go on that one, Tim, and then I'll go? Yeah, I think it's 
I think it's interesting, you know, that it's it's a it's a very you know unique time as as always, you know, it's it's moving forward. One thing that I brought up um, a, a few weeks ago on the show was I think it, it'd be cool if, if you are kind of a newer breeder or you know you, you know obviously we we always strive to 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 spread that you know you're not going to become rich uh, breeding some leopard geckos and in your closet or in a spare bedroom or anything like that. But, um, but just at this point in time, it's really cool that like, as you kind of spoke about earlier too, is that you can afford almost any more, you know, so it's really whatever you like, you can get into. And, um, I, and at the same time, you know, breeders, you know, the, the larger breeders, um, you know, like Dave every year produce, a few things that could be a new project, but they simply don't have the space to, you know, to work on it. So if you're kind of new, you could contact these breeders and say, Hey, look, you know, uh, I'm interested in, in doing something new. You know, do you have anything that, you know, and, and I'm sure just about every breeder that's of Dave's size has a little project that you just can't get to and would like to pass on to somebody else. So I think it's a, an interesting time. And at the same time, um, with so many breeders um, getting out of it that, you know, I've personally seen a, a few breeders, you know, getting out of it this year, that in the future that'll just, you know, if, if production goes da- down, then demand will go back up, you know. So it's a constant yeah. um, shift, you know. I would consider myself a mid-sized breeder, though, Tim, but, no, I appreciate the, the sentiment. Um I think what's like I've seen definitely some trends too, Ron. Like where some month sales are great, some aren't. Like in September sales weren't really that great. During October, it was kind of you know hit or miss. I think I think with like holidays, with Halloween, people get preoccupied with other things and you know get buying geckos. It really just isn't on their mind. But like now, this time of year seems pretty good because I think people are starting to consider their breeding plans for this upcoming season because most of these females are going to start ovulating soon. And, you know, now's the time to get stuff um, if you're planning on doing some new projects. But um, over the last five or six years that I've been doing this seriously, um, I've pretty much done all right, I guess. It's, but I also put a lot into it. You know, the radio show, my online presence, uh, uh, my YouTube channel, I've, re- I've really put myself out there a lot. I think you have to do that today. You have to stand out a little bit in the crowd. You have to get noticed. You have to... And that doesn't mean you have to do a bunch of crazy things or, you know, belittle other people. You can be yourself and, you know, get your recognition just by your own talents and your own strengths. Um, there's there's never a situation where you need to um, badmouth other people to get recognition. That's not that's not cool. That never gains you any respect. But um, you can do this. You, you just got to really, if you have, how bad do you want it, right, Ron? I mean, that's the end result. How bad do you want it? Exactly. You know, uh you got to have a passion to be in it for a, the long haul. And uh, it's okay to just, you know, I always tell people, don't quit your day job. Please don't get some crazy idea to quit your day job and that you're going to make money and sustain yourself by breeding reptiles. Um, it's very hard. And uh, there's, uh, but it, I'm really feeling optimistic about the way things have been going lately. And I see, you know, uh, uh, some of the shows are doing better. Uh, there's been a lot more buying from 
from Europe uh, this year than the last five years. That's picked up, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, Asia is always strong. Their, you know, economies are good, and now things are starting to kind of boom and kind of dribble into mainland China through Hong Kong. And so we've been we've been shipping there and, and working with those people, and it takes time. It's like any other business, uh, you know, I'm I'm a commercial breeder. I I sell pretty reptiles. That's what I do, and I I love what I do, and uh, so we just keep on it. And uh, I'd encourage anybody that uh, you know is out there and wanting to breed and feel like you know can they sell a few babies to sustain their hobby? I think you know they can if they uh, stay realistic with it and be a, a you know a good positive thing going forward here and uh so we just keep on you know keep doing the good stuff and like i said many times to many people we're all in this together yeah and ron i have a question for you and you know i'm not expecting any secrets to be revealed but there are a lot of people like smaller breeders and even mid-sized breeders that would like to break into these markets out in china and overseas and how does somebody like that do that? I mean, I mean, of course, it would create a little bit of competition, I think, for those of you guys that are already doing it. But um, I think, mean, just for instance, I'm, I don't sell nearly as many geckos as you do, but I do get requests from people all over the world. You, you know, all right. weird areas. And like, how do you how do you figure out how to do it? How do you go about all the the legal problems and all the um, I don't know all the hurdles they put you through to get to get these yeah, animals over exactly. there? Well, it's, it comes down to basic economics. Uh, there has to be a market. You know, I get I get emails uh, from all parts of the globe. Uh, people usually, you know, just don't understand how shipping works and what is required. And they see something really pretty, you know, a ball, uh, ball python or a special, uh, you know, uh, leopard gecko, and they want me to ship it to them overnight, you know, UPS or FedEx. They don't understand that that's illegal. And and so in order to make shipments to these, uh, you know, foreign localities, there has to be a big enough order. And, uh, and you do have to pay attention to the fact that um, somebody's got to pay someone up front, you know, you got to trust somebody, and so uh, there's not too many people that you know can. It costs about fifteen hundred dollars to make just to send one box um, to Hong Kong from the United States. It's that's how much it is, and uh, with all the permits and getting an agent and and the shipping costs and inspections and uh, health certificate is required for Hong Kong, for instance. That takes time to get a USDA health certificate. You've got to know all these things, but you have to have uh, a good name because you'd be pretty foolish to ship geckos to a stranger in Dubai or Frankfurt or Singapore um, without getting money up front. So that's why I yeah. started this discussion out with the fact that it comes down to economics, you've got to have a pristine name and um, and be well known and 
you know, one way that you can get a little bit established is to go to some of these shows in other countries, meet the people, and you develop a relationship, and maybe someone would, you know, be able to order enough geckos to uh, make it practical with the cost of shipping and all. Um, like the ham shows, I used to ship to a friend of mine in Switzerland that has a reptile shop there, a very close and dear friend. And um, and then he'd drive up from Switzerland to Ham with, you know, 70, 80, 100 of my geckos that needed to be delivered. He'd buy things for his shop. And, uh, you know, I could charge a, a, a pretty small amount of money to people per gecko. I think it was $40, $50 at that time per gecko. And that's pretty reasonable to have a gecko travel from, you know, Texas via Switzerland to Ham for $50. So uh, yeah. with the recession all, that made it pretty hard but, uh, to do it myself. So I generally will ship to... Uh, you know, Mark Bell will take things over, or Steve Sykes, and they do a good job. And they, it's a big chore to consolidate all this stuff and be responsible for other people's animals. But um, I usually have to have at least, um, you know, 40 geckos sold or other types of herbs, uh, in, you know, in addition to the geckos to uh, do a shipment myself. But, yeah. Uh, shipping stuff overseas, you know, um, they're the, probably the best way to do it if you just have a couple animals, a couple of serious customers that will prepay is to use Mark Bell or Steve Sykes. They seem to be the two people that will take take things over to Han and do a good, reasonable job with it. Yeah, I can speak from per, uh, from uh, personal experience with uh Mark Bell at Reptile Industries. I never had a problem shipping with him. And I've heard a lot of people that use Steve Sykes too and never had issues either. So um it is possible to get things to Europe. That's that's the way to go if you guys need to do that. Um well since we're on the topic of shipping, um you know this this is we're coming up on the cold season and um people that are experienced shipping in the cold usually can get animals out just about any temperature. I mean I stopped shipping if the temp's going to be below 30. But, uh, you know, there's ways to do this safely, even in the wintertime. What, do you, what are your experiences, Ron? What is your advice? Yeah, we've done thousands of shipments over the years. And, um, you know, when you're in, you know, Florida or, you know, this far south in Texas, we're the same latitude as Orlando, Florida, and, and mid-Baja. Uh, we had, you know, 70 three degrees here yesterday and uh uh you know so it's hard when it's warm here and and someone wants you to ship to idaho or montana in the winter and um so uh i really um did a little free app called herp ship and it's on android and it's free and it outlines no matter what company you use or you ship yourself or don't have an account with one of the other bigger ones, um, uh, you know, this app really can help you a lot. It's it's a lot of pictures, and uh, it's, like I said, it's free so for anything for iPhone or Android system, and um, it really outlines a lot of little tips I use on how to isolate the heat packs. Uh, one thing that beginners make a mistake with frequently is uh, 
they think more is better, and they'll put like ten heat packs in the top of a box, um, and um, and that's a real problem. If there's enough oxygen in there, then they do start emitting their full heat, and you will fry animals even at 30 degrees outside if you overdo the heat packs. I had one customer uh, tape a heat pack to a cup once. Uh, that didn't work out so well, and you know. Uh, you know, it fried fried a little rainbow boa quite handily. Uh, so uh, the other thing people make a mistake is they shove a ton of packing material into the box and leave no oxygen uh, space for the heat pack to really generate. So many times I've received, uh, you know, a little shipment of a turtle or uh, some snakes come in and the box is heavily packed with peanuts or what in newspaper, heat packs taped to the top, uh, cold as can be, and within moments it heats right up, you know. So you, what really works good are these little airbags. Uh, you can get them really cheap at uh, some of the shipping stores. We have enough shipments come in, uh, just vitamin powder packed in the airbags and other kind of dry goods that we uh, don't need to buy any. We have always a, a ton of them around here. And what happens with those is the air inside them actually can heat up from the heat pack and uh, distribute the heat. So that's really a, a good little feature. But, yeah, my app, Herp Chip, is, uh, yeah, you know, sort of like a cake recipe for hot weather or cold weather shipping. Lots of drawings, uh, good detailed information, and um, can you know help out the beginner quite a bit. That's that's great information, and uh, and we really appreciate you sharing it and putting out so much information. Um, it's it's interesting. I know when I when I first got into the hobby, you know, back uh, 25 plus years ago, it, there was kind of a, a feeling that more experienced keepers, uh, at least some of them weren't really sharing information because they thought, or at least the feeling was that they would be creating their own competition by teaching a newcomer how to breed a certain species that that would be, you know, harder for them to make money doing it. And, um, and I, I know that, you know, I, I never personally saw that, but I just remember that feeling being, being in the community. And I think it's so great, you know, you're you're almost like an open book between, you know, your books, your videos, your website, your apps, everything. You you just want to share and really that just grows the hobby and it, it you know, it brings, you know, positive everything for all of us, um, you know, bringing new people into it. And at the same time, I see that your, you know, your relationship with the other big breeders you know, if if you guys can get together and have talks about laws or keeping or anything at all, you know, if you guys can keep a good relationship with each other, there's no reason why, you know, breeders like myself can't, you know, can't get over little issues with other little breeders, you know. It, it, it's it's I think of it like as if the, you know, CEOs of Chevy and Ford and Toyota and, you know, all these different companies, you know, which, as far as I know, they, they don't talk to each other at all. But if, if you guys can do it, there's no reason why people 
in the hobby like myself can't, you know, can't get along with, with the guy at the next table at, at the, the vendor shows. But um, I, I'd like to, you to talk a little bit about, you know, how how you grew this, you know, because really we, we look to you as, as you started this whole thing, you know. Tell us a little bit about how it all started, about how you how you developed something that didn't exist before. Well, thank you. I I've just really followed, you know, my passion. You know, people ask me, um, you know, uh, how do you do this? And basically, I, I do it for myself. I challenge myself. And um, I've got, uh, oh, uh, you know, made a lot of mistakes over the years and had things go wrong with incubators and learned a lot of these steps. And uh, I, you know, touching in about being cooperative with each other, I've always said and always encouraged, I want everybody to have fun with it. If they want to make money, I I want everybody to make as much money as they can because what it does is it just creates an environment that's positive and it, it makes it uh, gives good examples to people that want to try to get in and make a little bit or break even on their hobby by doing sales. So that kind of thing is, is only positive. And uh, as far as relations with other big breeders goes, uh, it's, it's like uh, professional sports as far as it goes with us leopard gecko breeders. Uh, you know, step onto the basketball court, professional you play your heart out on the game play hard when the game's over you shake hands and you know can talk and you know about each other's families and different things and that's when life goes good um trying to do it any other way uh the last 40 years of leopard gecko industry is is scattered with uh the remains of folks that try to uh do it in a contrary way or not or just self-serving or selfish or backstabbing or or just outright liars and uh so those folks aren't around much anymore uh but how i got started with it is that um i've always tried to identify in in the reptile business uh kind of what everybody else was doing and then try to do something different and at the time when i started breeding leopard geckos, I just wanted to be able to breed a reptile in large numbers. That's all how it started. I had this idea about reptile ranching, of uh, just being able to breed enough stuff in captivity. And um, so I picked a leopard gecko and gathered a lot of good stock back in 78. And um, what happened was is about that time, some of the first corn snake morphs were occurring. Uh, the albino corn was already out, first albino amel corns, the snow corn, a few others. And uh, when I saw the first pattern mutation in the leopard geckos, I thought to myself, uh-huh, well, I can't uh, investigate this. So I just sort of challenged myself. I was breeding leopard geckos anyway, you guys. And so... I just uh, followed the uh, 
the stream of uh, you know genetic diversity. Uh, I'll tell you uh, by by breeding uh, these different morphs with each other, it tends to unlock things faster, and also having multi-head type animals, those kind of crosses uh, can give, reveal something that's new. But, uh, yeah, it was just a, a growth of things, uh, step by step, uh, so so few different morphs around, you know, it was, it was really kind of pitiful. Uh, for so many years, it was just uh, high yellow and uh, the uh, Murphy pattern list. And, and uh, so, you know, it was just a gradual thing, and, and then it just took off. Uh, people start getting interested in saying, hey, you know, here's something I can breed. Everybody wanted to breed something. And here's something that's kind of different, you know. There's a jungle-faced leopard gecko, and there's a striped blind and a reverse stripe. And these were some of the first morphs. So it just kind of took off. And uh, I've just been uh, keep feeling the skin of the onion back, uh year after year, you know, I can't do it all now. There's too many combo morphs and everything, so uh, it's really great to have all the the genetics that Helen brought into my life here, and now we're together on that, so we we have an awful lot of diversity here, And but it's exciting. It's, it's fun. There's still more stuff to come, and uh, I, I think that the marketplace is going to support that, I've always told people pretty gecko cell, color cells, you know. Uh, it's hard, uh, you know, if you have a hundred fantastic-looking geckos, you can't, you might be working against yourself on price, but if you have something. I always tell people invest in the um, uh, the prettiest geckos that, you know, your budget will allow. And so uh, I think my dog's seeing something creatures out the window so <laughs> sounds, a little. sounds like your your security is, is on alert down there yeah yeah you know it's like uh, don't mess with Texas all the, all the hair in his back's raised up so he must have seen something out the window that's pretty good we won't let him out though we don't want to lose too many of these people around well, here speaking of morphs and everything and and you know some of the things you've done in the past. What what's going on over there these days, Ron? What have you, what are you working on, and uh, what are some of your uh, favorite projects going on right now? Well, you know, I posted a little projects page on the website, you know, earlier this year, and um, I think we pretty much reached our goals on that. We came up with some really beautiful sort of what we call rainbow, you know, bright yellow and lavender and, you know, gold and red and all on a gecko. And we got our, uh, you know, a fair number of albino uh, blood and marines um, now, and I've posted those first ones on for sale this month. And I tend to grow stuff out. I'm not in a real hurry. We do wholesale a lot of geckos, but the real good stuff, we just have hundreds and hundreds of really top geckos that nobody's seen yet, that we grow them out and so that we can really see what we have. You, you know, if you're selling them, forced to sell early, it might turn into something. And I know you guys have had it happen too. I know you have, Dave, um, where you sell a, a, a pretty good-looking baby and then 
six months later, someone sends you a picture, and it's like, wow, I wish I had kept that. And yeah. That <laughs> you know what I mean? And that oh, happened, yeah. That happened to me years ago, and so we're in a position where we have enough grow-out space, and, you know, we have over a 1,000 boxes and so forth, so that we can, you know, really take a look at what we have. And we all, frequently I will sell the best-looking geckos of each more in a, in a given year because uh, I have their parents and I have, you know, their siblings that are, you know, I'll sell the ones that are 8.5 to 10.0 quality and and keep some 8.5s or 9s. And, and I won't lie. I mean, sometimes we keep the very best. I've learned not to show people the very best, uh, you know, because it sometimes it's discouraging when they can't uh, buy something uh, that you show them. But uh any rate, uh, it's uh, it's been going along good. And, you know, our projects, uh, one thing I've come up with is, um, uh, you know, I, I noticed about four years ago that, uh, uh, when I put the albino gene, my al- the Trumper albino gene into my bandits, that um, the bandits uh, were coming out sort of a just a, the albinos were sort of a cinnamon color, and I saw some pictures from France and the Netherlands of people that had some, and and they were sort of a cinnamon color, and like, you know, incubated them like at 80 degrees, you know, and just made a chocolate albino like you can out of a trimper. But uh, mm-hmm. people said, no, no, I, this is the male. I incubated this at 90 degrees, and and it's still dark color. And I, I had them here and, um, you know, was kind of fooling around with them. And then it dawned on me that um, this mechanism that allows that, super concentrated black pigment that you see in our uh, bandit uh, line, and we'll we'll use the term bandit to refer to uh, bold bandits as well, bold bandit being something that doesn't have the nice full mass for the band across the nose since it's not a true recessive. Um, But we'll call all these tonight just bandits. And what I've found is that that mechanism that concentrates that super dark black in quite a few of the young bandits, when that is uh, turned into an albino situation, it concentrates uh, those that same kind of pigment, pigment without the black. So you come up with kind of a, if you will, a, a variation or a new albino in a way because... Um, you can get uh, regular-looking trimper albinos that are jungle or banded that are just look like a regular, nice-looking, pretty albino like everybody's seen, and it can have a band across the nose. The band across the nose doesn't make it a bandit. It, it what I classify as the bandit is that uh, the, with the super concentrated black and its albino is in fact cinnamon colored and uh, and highly concentrated uh, pigment. And uh, then I bred those to the the pastel genetic, and that puts a real creamy and lavender look to them. But I I think uh, maybe I have time in the next 30 days. I've got about 
40 or 50 albino uh, bandits and, and bold bandits. And um, so it's kind of a unique albino. It's not something that, uh, you know, it's just happened uh, in the last few months. They've been around cropping up in different people's collections. But I uh, noticed that they all descended from this line of highly concentrated black pigment making geckos that uh, we call our bandits. And so um, it's it's going to be good. I, I'm going to put up a little bit more about it. And it, they're, they're beautiful geckos. And some of the females, uh, you know, incubating at the low temperature, uh, are almost black and green. So uh, you have to look at the bands with a magnifying glass to see that it's highly concentrated brown. Uh, to, you know, I'll put up some pictures hopefully before Christmas, but uh, I'm ready to start letting some of those out, I think. And I have them in in giant, super giant, and I have them in uh, pastel, you know, jungle, giant, uh, you know, bold bandits and different things that and with lavender. But they're pretty that's kind of a fun thing. I mean I've I've produced quite a few now and seen that uh yeah, it makes perfect sense that here's the you know, one morph that has the most concentrated black, at least some of the offspring do, since it's polygenic. Makes sense that they would uh do something different with the albino pigments too. And they do. And so it's kind of a fun thing, and I'll I'll get up more pictures and put some of that up. As far as Helen's projects go, she's really made some tremendous inroads. Some of her personal goals with her bell and and um, rainwater line animals. She's working on uh, red stripe radars for next year, and uh, she has some really unbelievable. Uh, Red Stripe stuff she posts on her Facebook page from time to time, and we sell on the website together. And then uh, she's working on, uh, this year she produced a lot of really beautiful, um, fully striped hammerines. Um, and uh, the one interesting thing is, you know, nobody's found the genetic stripe yet. You know, it took some years for the genetic stripe, uh, you know, Corn snakes to appear, and the genetic striped ball python took quite a few years for it to appear. You know, there were striped mm-hmm. ones that, you know, were polygenic kind of thing. And and uh, we had an interesting thing that uh, we think we might, you know, is worthy of a test here. Uh, it's so hard to get a leopard gecko that's perfectly striped from the neck ring all the way to the tip of the Usually there's a, a black spot or a dark spot of pigment right above the hind legs. You know what I mean. And yeah, um, yeah and and she uh, had a female throw seven perfect stripers, and I've oh only seen a, a couple. I've only seen a couple of those in in the last 15 years. And she she had one female throw seven for seven. So that's the kind of thing like Tim was talking about, that breeders have little projects that, you know, help us to raise our eyebrows. Well, this is one that we definitely are going to make space and time for. We'll test it out, and we've got enough animals there 
uh, we will test a, a large group, and uh, you know, who knows? Maybe uh, Ellen's revealed the genetic stripe because uh, it's really, really something to see this many fully striped animals um, at one time, and and um, and the other ones we had, we went and traced them back to the uh, the father and grandfather of this same female. So. Uh, yeah, that's a good project we're going to work on and uh, might be really fun. They're very dramatic. I mean, it's just like you drew it with a ruler all the way to the tip of the tail without one break, you know. So, wow. Uh, it, yeah, very cool. And uh, so she's working on a lot of bell and rainwater morphs and things like that. Uh, she's been really working hard to produce the uh, Murphy patternless radar. Uh, it was the cross she was using. Uh, I think it was triple hats, and uh, it's one out of 32 babies. And uh, so far, she's got every possible combination. And we've got like five eggs left this year from that project. But next year, she'll get it for sure because she's got, you know, got so close with it this year that she has narrowed the field, you know, on that. So we've got some goals, you know. We just want to keep doing what we're doing well. the the projects, uh, you know, I've um, introduced some uh, size and and color to uh, to the some really beautiful tangerine line animals that we've been working on that were separate from the tangelos, and uh, we've got uh, I think one of those on the super giant page that. Uh, is really beautiful that I put up, uh, and we've got about 40 or 50 of those growing up, and they were just really knockout. So we tried to, you know, sort of have that super giant moose-sized animal uh, with just tremendous bright tangerine color and contrast. So we uh, succeeded in that this year as well, and and we'll start selling some of those, some more of those this winter as we uh, sort out the ones we want to keep back. And, you know, we that's the other thing, you know, a lot of people got kind of discouraged. Um, it, in a way, helped us. Um, but, you know, trying to sell super giants when they're babies isn't a good idea, or even six inches. It's, it's, it's you know, some of the crosses are not 100% super giant, you know, and still you don't want to give away the one that's going to be 180 grams or something, but some people don't have the space, I understand that, and so uh, this is why we always sell them large. We get people that say, well, can I buy a baby for 100 bucks instead of waiting and spending $300 for a 100-gram animal, and we just don't do that. We, We want to make sure we know what's leaving here, uh, and um, and also we don't want to give away the ranch, you know, because we work real hard on our crosses, and we're always looking for that one that's going to be the next biggest gecko. So uh, so those are some of the projects we're working on. Uh, we uh, definitely uh going to keep on here, and, uh, you know, Helen's so much younger than I am, she's going to be able to, carry on a long time once she's pushing me around in my gecko wheelchair, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we know, we know that we still have many, many years of a, of a very healthy Mr. T 
uh, producing uh-huh. geckos for us. Um, Mr. T, you've mentioned in the past about, um, you know, crossing tangerines and, and bandits. Did you continue with that project, or did you, um, you know, kind of move on from it? I tried it for uh, four four generations of lion breeding, and really, you know, when I go after something, I, you know, it usually works, and uh, just couldn't get um, that a beautiful tangerine with the uh, that highly concentrated black and the same body configuration and all that. You got some animals that have a little bit of a, you know, kind of an orange or light tangerine color to them, but they had a lot of speckling in, in that color. You know, my my best bandits, I don't have any black spotting uh, or anything, you know, uh, in the creamy uh, light colored portions of the body and uh, also the animals after four years of breeding uh, just never hit you know it'd be wonderful it's still my favorite morph and it's just hard to beat the ones that have sort of a chartreuse creamy to creamy yellow body color with that jet jet deep rich black you know as adults and then bigger spots on the head I for that for so many years and so um, yeah that and the, uh, several people have tried and some others are trying and it's just not the quality I like it's not something that it might have maybe made someone else happy but uh, it wasn't going to make me happy and uh, so we uh, we stopped that project they seem and, like and, they're really beautiful when they're young but then it kind of, the black tends to fade out as adults. I mean, I don't know if, I mean, maybe with some, maybe with five, ten years of lion breeding, it might, you might get a solid orange gecko with dark black, but maybe it's something with the orange pigment that just interferes with the, with the black becoming very, very bold on into, on into adulthood. I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Ron? Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. I was totally convinced that, uh, it wasn't a marriage made in heaven. It just was going to con- contradict and work against itself. And uh, some of these uh, combo things are like that. Like, for instance, uh, years ago I thought maybe it would be great to uh, put the uh, sun glow gene into the raptor. Oh, it made the most butt ugly gecko you've ever seen. It, you wouldn't pay $10, $10 for it. It was useless to have to do that and uh, so some of these things just can't be improved on I think Uh, we've seen it in different types of snake breeding as well there are some lethal genes there are some combos that are weaker like the caramel albinos have a lot of problem caramel albino ball pythons have a lot of problem with kinking like uh, Mm -hmm. you know one out of five will uh, you know have no kinks, and, you know, some of the ball pythons have this shaking and stuff. And so, uh, you know, it's uh, it's just uh, part of the deal. Uh, you know, you just maybe can't improve on it. I Yeah, maybe 10 years. I don't know if it finally hit. But we deal with big numbers here, and when I go after a project, I really am keen on it. And uh, after four generations, 
they just couldn't couldn't get there. Um, you know, there, I virtually sold all the animals just as regular kind of pretty jungle leopard geckos for, you know, 20 bucks each, you know, wholesale kind of thing. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And uh, I, so, um, yeah, go ahead, guys. I've, I've been wondering if, if maybe some of the different tangerine lines, because there are so many, um, would be more, um, you know, apt to to cross better. And I have seen, um, you know, some breeders produce some nice ones that certainly make me, optimistic that in the future um it, it will be something that that you know will will just get better with time and and just like the bandits you know any polygenic morph just you know with with selective yeah. breeding and a good eye gets better and better yeah it's possible and that's the worrisome thing you know sometimes you see these geckos and they're just one of a kind, and since it's polygenic, you're never going to duplicate it. You know, it's sort of like the German guy's uh, red and uh, white gecko. He's never, never duplicated that, and and uh, you know, he's come close, but it's always never going to be the same. And so that's the tough one. You know, I have to really work hard to keep the level of these bandits up because, um, as I've told people in my book and apps, you. This polygenic stuff, you have to breed the very best examples back to the parents and to each other to maintain, you know, a high level, you know, of outcome on the offspring. So, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, you know, we we got going on our on the pastel thing, and it, a lot of people have had good luck with it uh, around the world, and uh, seeing a lot of good results. We've had. We introduced them to uh, Hong Kong and uh, Japan now, and they're pretty darn excited about it. And uh, so it's been real positive. A lot of a lot of folks in Germany have written some articles and uh, have a lot of good results. Parallel Mind back up uh, everything I presented on my webpage. So you know we're just having fun with it. There's some great colors and a lot of great uh, mixing of of different morphs, you know, it just creates that that whole thing, though, where, you know, there's so many genetic combinations now, it's almost impossible to list them all, uh, you know, when you deal with size and color and, and the white and yellow and the uh, pastel and, and um, you know, so that's what's going to be challenging. I plan for 2017, uh, to uh, put out a uh, book just on leopard gecko morphs, color pictures, and um, you know, not care information or a lot of other stuff that's been covered in my other books and by other people, and with my apps and so forth. It's but just but just um, morphs. And so a year from now, I'm going to start uh, doing a call for photos and and put it out there. Uh, please don't start sending me your photos now. Uh, but uh, well, I have time during the winters when things slow down a bit here uh, to uh, do a project like that. But I will say in advance, and it's not to uh, apologize for anything other than the fact that it, the mathematical combinations now are in the thousands uh, on the leopard jack morphs. And so there's no way to uh, 
have a picture of every conceivable combo more, but I will really give it my all, and uh, I think it'll be, a, you know, we've got to keep it to a size where it's affordable for people, and so that's always a consideration, and, uh, but that's my goal, is to put something out the summer of, uh, of 2017 on, uh, on just morphs, and uh, try to have all the different albino lines, and and uh, you know, really give a, a good shot at that. You know, there's been a lot of interest and demand on that, and uh, it's kind of silly, you know, my crazy prices for the quoting on Amazon with five or six books, book dealers on my 2012 book, and nine to ten thousand dollars. I really don't know who in the world would buy something like that. I, Are you serious? You know, Nine or ten thousand, Ron. I bought five of them from you, thinking it was going to be a good investment. I should, I should probably sell them now, right? Well, I I I had one that <laughs> I found in my packing table and, and and kind of wrapped up the other day, and I put it up for auction, and it went for one hundred seventy dollars. I was uh, honored for that. I was, you know, to me that's more realistic for something that's out of print and was still in its original wrapper and brand new as can be and it, but uh you know it's, people say how come you don't uh, print a new one well the problem is if i just reprint more of the 2000 book and correct a few little boo-boos in it um i'd have to print so many that i wouldn't have them all sold by the time the 2017 morphs book comes out so it's it's just hard you know you can you know, you've got to print, you know, several thousand books. And, uh, you know, so that's why that one's scarce. I do have a few of the 2005 books. Uh, I did set a, purposely set aside a case of those in 2005, and I've got a few more of those for sale. I've sold most of them here last week. I put them out available and all. So that's sort of the future on the... Um, on the book thing, and I want to keep that up. I kind of feel like, uh, you know, it's good service and that people love love it, and it gets a lot of response because they, uh, you know, people get their gecko in in a book like that. It gives them some credibility, you know, and uh, so uh, I've tried to do a, a more general uh, pictures, you know, about a year from now. Well, I'm not going to charge ten, nine or ten thousand. I'm going to put them up for five thousand and see where they go. What do you think, Ron? I think you're nuts. I think, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, good luck. You know, I was like, uh, <laughs> well, oh, well, I can't wait to for for that new book. That sounds awesome. But you know what? And and maybe like a little bit of the history. Are you going to go into the history on each morph and how it was, you know, discovered, perhaps stuff like that? I have a decided on that, you know, I guess, you know, there'll be a necessary part of that. It just depends how many pictures, because I can do, um, you know, two geckos on on each page, you know, and uh, so one top, one bottom, like I've done with the previous two big books, so... um, the last book was, you know, a couple hundred pages, so you figure I could have at least, you know, 
three to four hundred pictures in there, that's going to be uh, quite a few of the very best uh, combo morph examples and things like this. But you know, uh, it's just uh, it's, it's just crazy. You know, some people write me and say I want a uh, a white and yellow super giant uh, Diablo Blanco, you know, or something, you know, and it's like, well, come on, you know, we just, we can't make every possibility here. And um, so that's why it's encouraging for new people because there are so many combo more possibilities now. You can come up with your, with something, a new combo more if it, it happens almost monthly. And uh, so it's good. The other thing I want to applaud is that the use of the term Murphy patternless or just saying patty, uh, I really am happy that the term leucistic is finally fading away and let's not have anybody remember that I used that word just now. But I'm really happy (laughs) because, because that is, you know, it's just an example of someone puts a name out there, you know, if you will, in the press, and that then becomes that, you know, that word, leucistic, has almost taken 20 years for it to disappear when it was wrongly <laughs> named. I mean, 20 oh, yeah. years. That's it's funny. I was, just, I was just thinking about that the other day. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm really pleased. I've taken it off my price list, the term, and, you know, I used to put it in quotes because people didn't know what the hell a Murphy pattern list was, but I think now with the apps and the way, you know, the term being used by a lot of the younger people and, you know, Murphy pattern lists a lot to, uh, uh, you know, write, so they say MP or Patty. That's great. I think that's great. So I want to applaud that. I'm, it only took 20 years for it to get repeated. Really, really crazy. But, you know, the beginners have to watch out, you know. I mean, what are you guys running into as far as crypto? I mean, are you still seeing it as prevalent at shows or hearing people call or sending you pictures of terrible-looking geckos with pintail and a black belly, I mean, compared to five oh, years ago? Well, only stuff coming from pet shops, big the big box stores and stuff like that. I don't, I've, I can't remember a, a serious breeder ever being blamed for passing on a crypto infected animal in at least uh, four years now, three four years. So, yeah. but I do, I do get pictures on, in the group Gecko Nation, and even uh, people contact me on Facebook, and you know, whenever I investigate it, it's always uh, from a big pet store of some kind or. It's from a Craigslist or, you know, and it's always a new person that doesn't know what they're doing or they think by rescuing this animal they're help, they're helping, you know, and then they wind up spending hundreds at a vet or they don't take it to a vet and the animal dies and they're crying upset. And, you know, it's yeah. uh, it's crazy, but it does happen. I, I don't know. I just, uh, my collection's pretty closed here as well. I don't really take in much new stuff anymore either, so I want to keep my stuff good. As, as good as it is, I haven't had an issue here yet. So, yeah, I, I actually, I actually tested um, uh, early, earlier this year. I tested um, several geckos in my colony. Um, I was I was suspicious. I had a couple 
geckos die, and and I thought it might have been crypto, but they ended up not. They ended up testing negative for for crypto, and it, and it was also a, a relief, you know, and nice to know, you know, that I I tested, you know, a lot of my colony and found out that I did not have it. Yeah, in fact, a lot of people don't know that the the most sure way to test for crypto is with a dead gecko, and so. It's kind of bad, but that's good news. Yeah, I, I, you guys can pretty much corroborate what I've found, too. And I've consulted with some of the big uh, breeders that supply the the big box stores, the pet store chains. And I, I've warned them, you know, if, you know, if you ever driven around in the country and noticed chicken ranches or turkey ranches or these long silver buildings, a large number of them. You guys have noticed that, haven't you? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And the reason they do that is because if disease breaks out in one building, they can just destroy all the chickens in that one building and they don't lose all their animals. And they only let workers take care of that one building and cars drive through a medicated dip to get to the chicken or turkey ranch and so forth. And they're really careful because they can have, you know, bird diseases. Well, I've told the, um, the big-time breeders that tank out, you know, 70,000, 80,000 baby leopard geckos a year for that smart and petco. I've told them that once you get more than a thousand leopard gecko females in one building, you're asking for big trouble, like a community, and, and all it takes is a couple of animals to get really stressed or something new to come in, and you have a lot of workers and people aren't washing their hands or this or that, and and so yes, I I have to say that there are. Big geckos making their way into pet stores, and uh, I think it's—I don't know how to change that, and I don't know how the big breeders really going to change that easily because uh, you know trying to medicate animals and keep people separate—they're doing a good job overall, considering what they have to try to produce, but that is the source of. The crypto I'm missing most of the time also, and people send pictures. And um, um, and sadly, it, even bring animals into their collection that they've paid good money for and, you know, and, and end up losing everything. So it's, but it's not as prevalent as it was five years ago. I think a lot of the people that, um, yes, there's people buying, you know, a goldfish or a leopard gecko or a hamster at a pet store and, you know, basically it's a short lifespan, you know, at home for somebody. Um, hey, Ron, can, can they get crypto from the feeder insects? No, you cannot. No? Okay. Uh, um, okay. Yeah. Mr. T, yeah. even if even if the um, feeder insect has, like, walked through feces, of an oh, infected that's animal. A that's a different story. I, that's what I was just. That's what I was just about to bring up. You know, I I, I worked 
for the gourmet rodent, uh, you know, a long time ago. So I've kind of seen right. both both right. sides. So you know, obviously, if if you know a large portion of the gourmet rodent's colony was infected infected with crypto, they'd be out yeah. of business by now, you know. But um, yeah. but I think the the issue, and and I know that they also you know do plenty of testing and quarantine, and and they do exactly what, like you said, with separating um, colonies. Right so that they don't have all their eggs in one basket. But I've seen at pet stores, and it, and it just happened recently, where um, a large, you know, box store, and I, I heard the employees talking, and there were some feeder insects in a in a enclosure that the animals had not eaten, and I heard one of the employees tell the other employee, oh, take those uh, crickets that weren't eaten and put them back in the cricket bin. And yeah. so I think that's a perfect vector, you know, for this yeah. test to happen. And and it's you can't blame, you know, the the suppliers because they have no control over that. It's really, you know, about education. And um, obviously, there's there's something being lost, you know, between the the supplier and you know before it, it gets to the the end uh, customer. And yeah. at the same time, they also have the wild caught animals in cages right next to, you know, the, the captive bred leopard echoes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, anything can be a vector. The biggest vector in captivity is with the human hands. Uh, the friend of crypto is moisture. Uh, crypto is also what they call it. Uh, you get a direct inf- infection, infestation of the problem in that there's no, like, larval stage or intermediate host. So it goes kind of exponential. Uh, the animal uh, has maybe a little bit of crypto and in its feces. It walks in that and gets in its water dish, and it's taking back in the parasites uh, and the, uh, the crypto eggs. They're called oocytes uh, quite readily, and so... Uh, yeah, if you have crickets that walk through uh, infected feces and they get out of the box and into another box, uh, generally, um, you know, it's passing on. It can pass on that way. Uh, but uh, as far as just crickets in general, uh, you know, internally having something that creates a crypto is that's a fallacy and. Uh, you know, uh, so I think that uh, people just need to be real careful. That the first sign that you have a problem is you'll see the, the regurgitated skin bundle, the little white. It'll be mm, like an inch long and uh, maybe a quarter of an inch wide, uh, and uh, it'll look like a little wad of uh, cotton, but just long cylindrical fashion it'll be stuck on the hide box or side of the cage or bottom of the cage and you'll, you'll you know it might cross your mind somebody sees that that's the first sign that um, crypto starting in that gecko and then uh, the parasites invade the intestinal lining and tissue and um, keep the animal from producing the the right uh, mix in their stomach acids and so forth for digestion and absorption of the nutrition. And they typically regurgitate uh, whole crickets or whole mealworms 
Now, people shouldn't panic. Uh, some folks uh, will get a little leopard gecko that, you know, may be hungry and put too many mealworms in, and that little guy is just the go-getter, and he'll overeat and regurgitate a little wad of, of mealworms. Um, you know, uh, that can happen, and that doesn't mean they have crypto. But, uh, yeah. but I, there's a lot less of it around, and I, I, I do I did want to address that. I think all three of us knew that, but uh, I know your listeners, uh, a lot of them are beginner to intermediate level people, and uh, there's been a lot less problems I've seen, a lot less flare-ups in Europe, and uh, but animals, uh, they may uh, carry a little load of crypto, but... Um, they get badly stressed by going through a lot of shipping or through the pet trade, the whole routine that they have to go through all the steps and and maybe not getting the best of care at individual pet stores or, like you said, being cared for by different, you know, workers um, that have crazy ideas. But, uh, yeah, it's... It's something to keep an eye on, and it's just, you know, it really doesn't cost any more to buy from a, a good dealer or someone online that knows what they're doing than to go spend a lot of money at, at one of the pet stores. So I hope people uh, don't. And crypto can't be passed on to your children or, or you know, to adults and so forth. So that's something we got to keep in mind and let the listeners know that it's not a threat to uh, people, but it's good to be mindful. Hey, Ron, you want to take a phone call? We have a caller on the line. Sure, okay. All right, caller from the 469 area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hello. Hi, who's this? Yes. This is Jacob. Hey, Jacob, what's up? What can we do for you tonight? Yeah, I was just curious about the bandits. You know, how how did the bandits, like all start and where did it originally come from? Yeah. Well, back in about 1994, uh, I had the first sort of asymmetrical, non-banded patterned leopard geckos. I called them jungle face because there was some snakes called jungle face at the time. And um, so I was just breeding the, you know, nice yellow and, and marbled-looking animals together, and, you know, they'd kind of get their typical brown markings, and the pattern would kind of disintegrate into dots as they got older. And then uh, one day back in 93 or 94, I had some hats that were uh, very high-contrast babies. And so, hey, you know, I set these aside, and they grew up, and... um, uh, the first ones had, you know, oh, about 40, 50 spots on the head, but really high contrast. Uh, there's some old pictures I have from 94 and 95. I did a little ad in one of the re- early reptiles magazines of uh, one of these. And uh, at the time, I just called them designer jungles. Um, there's a gecko wear company that even took a picture of one of my early ones from 95 or 96 and used it on their clothing line. And I think I still have one of those polo shirts. You don't see them around, but it was just a mutation that, um, 
that showed up and uh, just spontaneously uh, here, and I recognized it, and I was really impressed on how super concentrated the black pigment stayed, even as adults, just as black as you can get on on a lot of the individuals. So um, those early ones were very high contrast, uh, and but had a lot of spots on the head. And I finally got a few with uh, just a few spots. So for 12 years, I bred them to reduce line bred them to reduce the spots on the head, and that's why you see these uh, just three or four markings on the head or happy face or on my line. And uh, so the bulbs are bold bandits. Uh, that's how they came about. And Jacob, as I said earlier, um, you just got to pick the very best animals and breed them together. Uh, otherwise, you start getting more uh, head spots and uh, more spotting on the body and uh, less black spots on the legs and and not that nice little band across the nose that seems to occur so nicely, and that's why I named them bandit. Is there a, is there a way you can incorporate the eclipse gene into the bandits, or is that just impossible? <laughs> we tried it, and it, it I, I'm glad you brought that up because I had forgotten about it. I, it was something that uh, we've tried, and uh, it seems to not come together. It just seems to work against it. Um, for instance, I've tried to make uh, bandit raptors. You know, this new this about uh, albino bandits have this, what I call this, cinnamon albino. I've uh, tried, I uh, uh, went and bred, made the double hat animals and everything and uh, uh, bred them together and I should have got like 50%, should have been with snake eyes or, or all red eyes. And out of 40 or 50 animals, I got one animal with snake eyes of the true albino bandit. So that's a tough one. We tried to put the Eclipse eye on it. I think it would look kind of cool. Uh, didn't work for four or five years of trying. And then I um, decided to try to see what I could do with the cinnamon one. And it's not wanting to the gel, you know. <laughs> but, you know, that's what happened with the, uh, the Trimper Patternless Albinos. It should have been like that mathematically, and it was really like one out of 200 when the first wow. one, when the first one occurred. So some of these genes, uh, we can, you know, have a vision, right? You know, we get an idea in our head, right, and say, oh, we want to do this. Like, uh, you know, I've been... Thinking, uh, working on putting, making an extreme amarine uh, raptor. Well, I finally did that. Had great color this year, but it's taken almost five years. We've got a male, got fantastic color, um, got, got snake eyes. <laughs> Not all red eyes, but if you can get snake eyes, you can get all red eyes. But some of these things just don't match up, take up and. That's what makes it interesting, and sometimes you start out to make one thing and you get something better out of it. So, um, good question, and I'm glad you brought up the eclipse part. It's very hard to make uh, uh, a bandit eclipse. 
All right. Anything else, Jacob? Uh, yeah, I was also really glad that uh, y'all brought up the topic about getting into breeding, how people think they're going to get rich automatically off of breeding leopard geckos or breeding any kind of animal for that. That's not the case. I mean, I'm 16 years old and I'm getting into breeding, and I realized, hey, it's 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 not cheap. It's not expensive, but it's not cheap. You know, every animal you sell, that money either goes towards feeding the animal or buying another animal to improve your project. So really, you don't even really make profit on it. You just use that money to buy either another animal or supplies that you need. You know, it's, Pretty much. It, it's not a way to just get easily rich. So, I mean, it's... Yeah, that's right. Especially as a beginner. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. yeah. I, think I mean, but with me, I've got eight leopard geckos, and it still costs me, you know, $30 a month to feed them. <laughs> So it's yeah. yeah. You know, it's nice when you can sell something, and that's when the whole system and the industry is working well. Because then you say, okay, I'm going to use this money to go up one more level. I'm going to get that next special morph I've been thinking about. And when the market's not moving, and there's and you're just having to spend money on on feeder insects and some equipment. Um, it gets to be a downer for a lot of the beginners and first-time breeders and all that. Exactly. But, yeah, just keep it fun, keep it a hobby, and, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, I plan on pursuing my career in zoology. I plan on going to Texas A&M, graduating from there, and trying to get a job over at the Dallas-Fort Worth Zoo. But, you know, yeah. that's that, that's my pursuit. You were a zoo curator, weren't you? Yeah, I started as a zookeeper in Fresno, and uh, I was curator reptiles at the Fresno Zoo. I got to do a little walk, uh, you know, through history, visit uh, the Darn Reptile House, been opened uh, for, uh, you know, 30 years now, and uh, I went back to visit my mother in Fresno a couple years ago, and... uh, one of my former reptile keepers has bounced around the United States for a while. He's now director, Scott Barton, and he's doing a fabulous job there. But my reptile house is still standing, and a lot of the little quirky things I installed and all the systems and stuff are still going. It was really gratifying to see. And But awesome. I wanted to leave there when I was on top of the game, if you will, and uh, and prove out my idea of reptile ranching and captive breeding, and that's what I've done now. I've been totally self-sustained by um, the reptile work. Uh, how how long did it take you to get from where you're at to getting to a zoo curator, just from, like, working there to becoming the curator? How long did that take? Oh, boy. Well, um there's first of all, there's only like one zoo reptile curator position in the United States open every four to six years, basically. It's very hard, you know. There's hardly any openings at all, and and they tend to hire people that have uh, been around, have been an assistant keeper, or working in the reptile house as a as a reptile keeper. The thing I gave advice to a lot of people uh, over the years is 
uh, find a zoo nearby and volunteer. If they have a volunteer program, volunteer in the reptile house, show what you can do, even if it's only one day a week. You come there and work just like a paid person. I ran the volunteer program at the Chaffee Zoo, and uh, uh, I our budget was low for zookeepers, and I had three tremendous volunteers. One was a pharmacist, one was a linguist, the other one a teacher, and but they were passionate about reptiles, and they came different times of the week, and just like clockwork, and had their chores, and got to work in the reptile house, and and you know, and some of those people went on to quit what they were doing and went into the zoo profession. But the only way you can break in is um, to show what you're made of by volunteering somewhere. And at this age that you're at, it's a perfect time to do that because you can afford to do it. Uh, uh, you're not out there having to pay bills and car payments and all this and make a life of your own. So it takes time uh, from the time. Uh, well, I've been into reptiles all my life, so. Uh, but when I started volunteering at the Chaffee Zoo there in Fresno, it was 1966 or 67, and uh, they, then I started designing the zoo's reptile health uh, for them after I graduated in 75. And it took a few years for it to get funded and and my design built. And the, they still had the tasks and interview people from all over the country, but the zoo director had seen me working there, and I was his assistant. It was kind of a sure thing. Um, so it, um, I started volunteering in 66. I was curator of reptiles at 27 years of age in 19... 78 or so. So, um, you know, it can be done. If it's if it's your passion, you can stay in there. But the best thing in the world to do is volunteer at the zoo so that those folks get to know you. All right. Awesome. Any tips for a future breeder or anything like that? Uh, just pick a, a project that's possible and... Uh, uh, set some goals and outline the project. A lot of these projects, you know, if you're going to make combo morph, taking 18 months minimum, and just keep it realistic. Set set goals and uh, and go for it. And and interact. Find some people that are at the same level or somebody you know you can have fun with it uh, on your own. But just uh, just follow what you want to do and not necessarily what everybody else is doing. Awesome. And uh, would you mind if I went ahead and published these questions in um, our breeder club for our school? Um, I'm the president for it, and it turns out there's, like, a lot of us that breed leopard geckos out there. Would you mind if I uh, published these questions in our forum or anything like that? I don't mind at all. I think you can use uh, a link here to... um, to the uh, podcast, the uh, whole, whole thing on tonight's talk. Uh, isn't that right, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. Take it. And if you need anything else uh, from me, uh, hit me up on Facebook and I'll help you find the information. A lot of good stuff awesome. in our past episodes, too, that can help you. Awesome. All right. Thanks for calling in, Jacob. All right. Thanks. You, too. Have a good night.
Yeah, Ron, he's, I like this kid. He's, uh seems to be on the right track. Seems uh, yeah. motivated. He calls in a lot with great questions. And uh, I don't know. Seems promising. So I wish him the best of luck with this. Yeah, indeed. Do we have a couple more minutes? I want to hit on one more thing. Absolutely. Take as much time as you like, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay, cool. Uh, we get a lot of questions. I don't mind answering the same question over and over because new people come into it and all that. But that, yeah. that question is, is, do you powder insects or not powder insects? And what I've said and uh, we'll keep saying is don't powder insects because it's arbitrary. We're just guessing that you're able to get enough powder on that insect to deliver what the gecko needs, when in fact the gecko knows itself exactly how much it needs and can lick up a good vitamin mineral powder from a jar lid. Uh, so I encourage everyone... Uh, to just get a good vitamin mineral powder. I, I happen to use Vionate for growing out animals and Osteoform for sexually mature animals. And Osteoform has vitamin A, D3, and calcium in it. And um, those are the three essential components, minimum, to breed leopard geckos. But uh, people are saying, how can I get more calcium into my gecko? Well, it's not a matter of most every diet out there, you know, anything has tons of calcium. Calcium is useless without the presence of D3. D3, if you think of it, is like a little vehicle, like a little dump truck that uh, delivers the calcium into the body's metabolism. And without D3, you can fill the terrarium to the top with calcium and only cause a problem in that they'll overeat the calcium and they can get swollen joints and almost something like gout, and uh, they'll die from it. You know, one big breeder about 15 years ago discovered oyster shells at the feed store, decided to grind them all up, put them in the bottom of the cages, and they all the geckos, you know, body turned to stone, basically, and uh, died. So... uh, Let's not try to reinvent anything out here. Let's just put good vitamin mineral powder in a jar lid and give it to the geckos. They know exactly how much to lick up. Powdering also is a problem in that you're raining down this powder in the cage when you shake out the crickets, and um, it can get in the gecko's eyes and cause big irritation. So uh, you waste vitamins vitamin mineral powder, doing powdering. Uh, It's crazy shaking around stuff in a can or a plastic baggie. And uh, Gecko knows how much, just like us humans, you feel like, hey, I need a piece of fruit. Your body's telling you that. It's not that, hey, I'm going to eat a piece of fruit every day at 12 o'clock. You know, you eat one when you feel it. And uh, the geckos know exactly what to do. So that's that's one thing I wanted to bring up tonight. That's a good point. And um, for people listening, what I do, and I, I know a lot of you guys other out there do as well, is um, I save the jar lids from, like, pickles and glass jar lids. And I, I have hundreds and hundreds of them now. I even have my friends saving them for me. <clears throat> Excuse me. They make perfect uh, calcium-slash-vitamin dishes. And 
you can place them right on top of the hides or right on the floor of the tanks and or put, I usually try to elevate them on top of a hide or something but uh yeah, make exactly. excellent yeah, yeah cheap way of uh keeping that stuff in so oh exactly I got so many jelly jar lids and coffee jar peanut butter lids around here there's but uh, one thing that uh, caution people, don't put the vitamin mineral powder more than a quarter inch deep uh, because the geckos are, are real diggers. And they see something yep. like that and they start digging in it, they'll shovel it all out in the cage and get you all pissed off. So it makes you crazy. <laughs> uh, and so you've got to uh, just use a, you know, a little jelly jar lid that's a quarter inch deep and just kind of fill it you know, in the middle and... And you'll see it disappearing, and just refill it. And if it gets wet, clean it out, all that. So, um, yeah, it really—that's uh, the way to go. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Ron, um, uh, yeah. we got a fan or a friend of yours in the in the chat that wants to say hello, Doug. Uh, he said, uh, so "Tell Ron I said hello from Doug." Do you know a guy named Doug? Well, I sure I know. Doug VG. Yes. Is yeah, okay. His name is Douglas VG right. in the group, in the chat. Okay, so. good deal. Hi, Doug. Thank you. Um, good hearing from you. Uh, yeah, we've got a lot of good friends out there, and I sure appreciate you guys, what you do. You know, uh, you and Tim are great hosts, and and uh, we just keep on. Thank you. And I, I really enjoy being on your show and sharing, and, and uh, you know, we just keep, Keep doing this. I want to thank Steve again for the great video. I just love that so much, and, and my family's got really tickled by it too. My grandkids and all. <laughs> it <It's> really, <laughs> yeah. really makes it fun, and so I just you know be glad to come on here again. Uh, we get some more developments and findings and so forth, and uh, we'll all just keep working together. It's been a good spirited year, and. And uh, I just applaud you guys for all your hard work and efforts. Thank you so much. And thank you for being a sponsor of the show. And, you know, thank you for always being there to help me when I was stuck on things, too. Appreciate oh, you're it. Welcome. Yeah, for sure. Mr. Okay. T, I, I, have to, I have to bust your chops about something. On, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it was your, your first Reptile Radio episode. You you invited Larry and BT down to, down to see the, the ranch that you have down in Bernie there. And, and Dave and I... Or at least I haven't gotten an invite down. Well, come on, that's a <laughs> invite. You know, we our doors are open. We had a a, a doc, a husband and wife. They're both doctors here today with their three kids. Uh, you know, it takes time to take folks around, but we we try to share. And we certainly uh, when we we get uh, hardcore leopard gecko and herpers, uh, you know, we've got. Three, four hundred snakes here. We breed in spotted turtles. Uh, yeah, do a lot of things here, and uh, it's ninety-four hundred square feet of uh, reptilian bliss. So you're always welcome, Tim, anytime you get down here. Uh, but I don't think you'll probably beat Dave here. He's pretty, pretty eager, and uh, uh, maybe we'll but, go together. We'll take a road trip or something. Yeah, please. He's got a Tim's got a Prius, so you know <laughs> my car is too much gas. So we'll take his Prius. Yeah, we can, yeah, exactly. I, that's what I drive. So, uh, they're good oh, you hear that, Dave? Well, yeah. come on. There's nothing like a Chrysler 300. Those things are awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's for sure. 
Okay. Thanks. Um, one, Thanks one so last much, thing. Mr. T. Wait, yeah. wait, hold on. One last thing, Ron. How come you didn't outbid Steve Sykes on that lemon frost? <laughs> you let him get away with that? Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah, if I wanted a lemon blast, I guess I'd have one, but I don't want one. So it's just that simple. <laughs> um, don't, don't pin me down to ask me why, but I just don't don't care to have one right now. Yeah, you have, okay. you have your hands full with enough projects, right? Yeah, we'll just say it's that reason. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. All right, awesome, Ron. Hey, listen, have a great right. Thanksgiving with Celine and your family. Yeah, you, and yeah, you thanks too. Thanks for everything. Thank you. Yeah, okay. I'll sign it off. Thanks a lot, Mr. All right, have a good night. All right, good night. Bye-bye, guys. Tim, you there? I am. Okay. All right, cool. Gotta love Ron Tramper. Great guy. Um I hope he stays around for a long time. I'm glad uh I'm glad he's got lean there and um sure wouldn't be the same without him in this, that's for sure. Thank you. Give yeah, a great interview uh, and good. And and I just wanna say again, you know, happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there, you know. I hope uh hope everybody enjoyed the show. As as you know, as Dave was just saying it's really um, invaluable, you know, all the the information, you know, he he shares with us and and uh, and puts out, and really doesn't doesn't hold anything back, and can't can't ask for any more than that, you know. So um, absolutely, uh, just absolutely. also want to say again, just anybody that'll be at White Plains next weekend, come stop by, say hello, and I uh, hope to see you there. All right, cool. All right, Tim, thanks again for uh, being here with me. And, uh, well, I'll talk to you during the week about the table. And we'll, um, I don't know, why don't we take next weekend off then? If you don't have, if your guests fell through, um, we'll take the holiday off and we'll pick up the next week. I think the next week we have uh, Toke Geckos, Toke X Morphs coming on the show. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. All right, Dave, have a good night. Good night, everybody. All right, cool. Thanks, Tim. Later. All right, everybody, I'm going to play a cool song at the end, uh, but before I do, let's talk about our awesome sponsors. You heard one of them, Ron Tremper, great guy. Um, of course, Supreme Gecko, check out Wally Kern and uh, his 12 Days of Christmas that he's doing, which is uh, basically a good chance to get some exposure and maybe even win some cool prizes from one of us breeders that are contributing. So, uh, oh, thanks, Doug, man. We do our best. I appreciate it. I'm glad you guys like it. Thanks to everybody in the chat room who chimed in tonight. Really like your participation. Of course, uh, please help share the show links in the Facebook uh, post so we can keep Gecko Nation going strong forever because uh, I don't see any end in sight. I think we may take a little break in the winter, maybe like a month or so off, but uh, we got so many guests lined up for the future that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's we're just going to keep doing this as long as we can. It's just so much fun. Also, um, also want to let you know that I spoke with Richard Stanley, uh, the attorney at US Arc. Uh, I spoke with him the other day at length, and uh, he's going to come on the show soon, and he's going to uh, help us understand exactly how good of a position we really are in right now and um, the progress that US Arc has made in our defense uh, so far because, you know, we're having some issues. So uh, instead of be trying to figure out all the legal mumbo-jumbo. He's going to break it down in plain English so you guys understand it at the beginner level um, what's going on and how uh, how things are going. Because I felt better after talking to him. Because I was, I was feeling a little down the dumps about things, like, you know, maybe 
you know, we're going to keep losing our rights to own our pets, but it's not that not the case. Things are actually looking up for us. So uh, I'll announce when he's coming on. It's going to be one night in, in December. All right, let me get, get on to the sponsors, of course. Uh, yeah, please participate in Wally Current Supreme Gecko.com, the 12 Days of Christmas, and I went up cool. Also, Ohio Gecko, check out OhioGecko.com and GeckoForums.net. Both great places. One's a great place to buy your geckos. One's a great place to learn all about the history and all the any question, husbandry questions. You type in that form, you're going to get an, a bunch of answers to. And of course, the Gecko Nation is a great source too. Our group on Facebook. All right, Gecko Boa Reptiles. Check out GeckoBoa.com. Uh, top top bloodlines over at John's place. Really, is best of the best. Uh, definitely, definitely a breeder I trust in the game. And stand behind. Wouldn't have. I don't have anything bad to say about John. I don't think anybody does. Check out geckoboa.com. Um, let's see. Of course, Rainbow Mealworms, biggest worm farm in the world, going back all the way to 1956, I believe. They own a whole city block in Compton, California. Just completely all worms. That's like crazy. But uh, check out rainbowmealworms.net. Great products. Great customer service. Awesome prices. Uh, reptilesexpress.com, ship your animals the legal way, ship them with company that's got the best rates, awesome supplies. I love their boxes. I say it all the time. Their boxes are the best thick styrofoam packing. And uh, it gives me great peace of mind. Keeps the heat in good, keeps the cold out, and uh, perfect for any time of year, really, except if it's, like, crazy cold. Um, let's see. Okay, sea serpents and hot box incubators. Love sea serpents racks. Uh, their hotbox incubators are basically plug and play. They're ready to go. They got lights. They got real flex slot heat tape in there. The good stuff. They got uh, thermostats installed. Really nice professional stuff. The racks are second to none. Check out SeaSerpents.com, hotboxincubators.com, and of course ABDragons.com. Get your dubia roaches from one of the best ABDragons.com. Use the code Gecko at checkout for five percent off your order every time, and they do Facebook auctions for insects. So check out their page on Facebook at EB Dragons. And last but not least, reptilestickers.com. If you guys need anything for your uh, business or just for fun, you need stickers, banners, anything, plus uh, graphic design work, check out reptilestickers.com. And Rachel Lynchon on Facebook has got Happy Gecko Sticky Situations. She's got a group for all the fans. All right, so check that out. And, uh, okay, that's it for now with our sponsors. We love our sponsors. Thank you all for helping us support the show. And uh, we'll get do it again soon. I hope everybody has an awesome Thanksgiving with their family and friends. Be safe. Have a good time. And if you're going out the night before and you're going to be drinking, try to get a designated driver. Don't do nothing stupid. All right, cool. All right, everybody, thanks again for uh, being there for us, and we'll see you again soon. Here's a cool song to take us out.
Thank you very much.